Welcome to Brew Coven. We got a special segment tonight, the first of the 2018 year. This is Sour Night, Volume 2. Volume 2. Uh, this is Dark Pony in the house. East Coast Mike. Boy Scout. Boy Scout, loud, and, and this is one of his resolutions, just to be loud and boisterous as ever. Louder and prouder. Uh, but yeah, we got a, we got three of us here, and we are got a unique bunch of extremely effervescent beers to share with you guys. The lineup starts tonight with Brett Lab number eight from Mollusk. This is a brewery out of Seattle, Washington. Um, this is part of a series that these guys do. I haven't dabbled a whole lot with myself. Uh, maybe Boy Scout has. He might be able to give a little bit more of a background on the whole Brett Lab series and how all those work. I mean, it's fairly obvious that they're using Britannomyces, right? So this is, as the label describes it, a farmhouse style ale. I picked it up. Um, fairly popular amongst locals and, and, and the folks up here in the Pacific Northwest in terms of this kind of sour or American wild ale type of beer. What do you think, Boy Scout? What's, what's the background on this? Um, so the background is, is bottled March 2016. I'm trying to look it up right now. We brewed a big British-style farmhouse ale and decided to split the batch in half and age one with American oak is the description on this beer. Um, finished with Brett Lambicus. It's got a little pineapple. I get a little pineapple in this. I get some kind of like, yeah, ripe fruit. Yeah, it's just like pineapple straight out of the can. Not even like fresh. Yeah, so... Ripe fruit is probably safe to say, a little bit of maturation on it. But it is pretty funky. Not very yeah. dry, surprisingly. No. Yeah. no. I actually got some Judging by the way this bottle looks good body like to it's it. It's still kind of fermenting a little. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Do you think it's under attenuated? I mean, what, what are we thinking here? Hmm. It might be on the verge of that, but not, not necessarily. So mollusk, I mean, how do people out here in the Pacific Northwest kind of feel about mollusk? Um, I know I've been there a couple times. I do have a restaurant out in Seattle, downtown kind of area, if I'm not mistaken. I went there one time and had an appetizer, and that was probably the most of my ex- experience there. I uh, had a beer. was not a sour beer, so I know that they don't normally do this style of beer. So this is a unique thing for them. Um I thought I'd throw it in the mix. What, what do you think? I mean, how does it stand in terms of sours? And we, we do have some true old world sours that we're going to compare to this very shortly here, but I'm just curious. Um, well, I mean, you definitely get a lot of the, the Brett character on the aroma. I think this, if you want to talk about, I think this is sort of like in the window of when this is probably going to be at its peak for tasting. I don't know. I think it tastes really, really great. Um, it can... I don't know. It's it's interesting to see how it's like not really dry. I don't know. Maybe that's what I like about it is that it's not just super quick to a dry finish. Yeah. But I mean, I think a lot of this our background and, and our, our head and nods to say breweries like Santanderius or like breweries like Degard and breweries like um, I mean even I mean we could go as far as Jester King in some cases and a lot of these other kind of sour farmhouse style ales, I think that they, they, they really kind of pride themselves on the drier finish, and that's why bread is often used. Yeah. Um, my brewing background and what I'm throwing into this is that the sweetness might come from some maybe residual sugars. I like it. It does taste kind of good. 
a little bit too much of this beer would give me a headache, so that leads me to believe that it's a little bit on the under-attenuated side. Maybe there's okay. still some more fermentation going. I mean, the bottle burst. Yeah. In terms I got of, you. you know, in terms of the foaming. So, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a unique kind of beer. It's definitely different. It's obviously one of their experimental beers. East Coast, where... I mean... Um. I'm not much of a fan of it just because it's not very tart. It's not. Doesn't really yeah, I'll give it sour. that. Yeah, there's no. And that's it's too sweet. It's just not not my thing. I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess that is one thing to say. I. It's like it's different, but it doesn't quite remind me of a sour beer. A blend of a. Uh, it was an English. I mean, it's his American Wild Ale, British style farmhouse ale. British style farmhouse ale. Yeah, which I've never heard of in my life, which is interesting. It's, it's probably a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, no. I, I, everything is. Not Makes you want to look it up. Because that was like what we saw in that Harmon beer bottle. It was yeah. god awful. Some basically made up name of a beer. Right. But Anyway, if we do end up finding a material on what a British style farmhouse ale is, um, we'll definitely get back to you. I am getting a little bit of, of a cheesy kind of... Yep. Aftertaste now that this is warming up a little bit and a little that a little less. Yeah, yeah. A little it could be isovaleric, could be a weird yeast issue, but it's not pleasant on the finish. But this is a good intro beer for those of you who are not normally familiar with sours. So here we have next uh, a beer that I love, and I feel like a lot of us in the sour community just always have a really Constant tip off of the hat to uh, Mutton's Cafe's Flemish Sour Red Ale. This one's been aged for about three years, and we've cacked it, and it's done the same thing. It is bubbling very, very much. Um, but I will tell you that I've never seen this beer not ever kind of burst when I've kind of cracked it. So pour you all up a little taste of this. Get that old pineapple taste out of what was there before. Um, it pours a nice, really rich, ruby red, almost maroon-like color and texture. The head is just beautiful. We are getting a little of that balsamic. Very much appropriate on the type of style this beer uh, plays off, too. We are getting a really nice kind of crispness. I'm not getting any real funk to it. It's just a good old... Really nice, light-bodied Flemish red ale. And it's probably one of the truest to form. A lot of brewers have tried to emulate this through their beers in the United States. So, I I don't know. I I love this beer, personally. What do you guys think? I mean, it's been sitting for three years, so for those of you guys... It's not an expensive beer, mind you, but it's it's a beer that we always love to just throw back, if you will. Um... I do like that balsamic vinegar, uh, just smell and sharpness to it. I don't know. There's something that appeals to me that, especially reading up on food and beer pairings, it just brings to mind a lot of, you know, like food I'd like to have with it. So maybe there's that uh, sensory sort of application yeah. to it too. Um, what foods? What are you thinking? I mean... Oh, I think like pickled onions, like anything pickled in terms of veggies. I think of like salmon or just like dark red meat. Yeah. In terms of like counterbalance, though, yeah. what would you do? Like, I don't know. I would think something like this would cut through some really creamy shit. Some really just intense oh, shit yeah. too. 
Um, I don't know. I think this beer goes really well with a lot of dishes. I mean, most Belgian beers do, but this is quite nice. I mean, right out of Van Steenberg. <coughs> oh, wow, that's, that's nice. Solid. It's somewhat tart. It's not nearly as balsamic as it smells. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that you said this has been three years. Three years in the cellar. Okay, so that's um, definitely... I think it's sort of nice, actually, how mulled out it can be. Sometimes those, like, can get, those can be, like, really acidic, and it can just be really overpowering, but this this is really pleasant. I'm a fan. I get a nice little, like, plum cinnamon aroma on it as well, mm-hmm. along with that. Uh, definitely, I definitely I get some fruit on him. Yeah. Uh-huh. With the cinnamon, yeah, I pick up on, too. It's just that spice coming off the, the yeast. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how much that actually changes quite interestingly enough. I mean, how do you feel? And I, we do sour nights, and, and we'll do a lot of more sour nights. Um, obviously, we have Black Cat, who's usually on board, and, and just steamrolls through these. But I wanted to do something a little different, and, and just kind of look at sour night from a outside perspective, and, and throwing this one in the mix just kind of gives us an idea of what Belgian true sours are, and what American wild ales are, and how they compare, and what. What what do we think that American sour breweries are trying to do as far as emulating those styles, and what do you think we as a culture, as an American culture, and as an American palate take away from it versus what we're constantly striving after? Whether it be Degard, whether it be Holy Mountains shit, or whether it be you know, I mean, dude, there's so many Jolly Pumpkin, Anchorage, anything out there that's really just kind of changing the game in terms of American sour beer. What do you think? They're trying to emulate, and what do you think these beers are really doing for our palate as we begin to evolve as sour beer drinkers? I'm think? looking up another red sour beer, sorry. Um, I think there's just a really bigger differentiation, probably because of, you know, United States, you know, I think especially versus, you know, like Belgium and German, you know, sort of Flemish sour beers. Uh, that difference, I get a, like more of a balsamic. I get more of even some like tinniness. I don't know. For it's more about the sour part. I think in the American style, um, I haven't had that many, but it's like I was looking at uh, was it Vandergunst? That um, it's got the two gentlemen. That like is my f- my Udburn. favorite uh, to the Sudburn. So, I don't know. Which is like the flip version of this, right? So, you know, we're looking at total different conditioning processes than the Flanders Red. Um, but interesting enough, I think that you're right. A lot of the American breweries probably tend to lean towards a little bit more of the sour aspect rather than, let's say, a Belgian brewery who just so happens to get a sour or more tart beer out of what they're doing. Not necessarily trying to aim for that acidity, but just happen to have that come through in their beer. So next we got, and I'll let East Coast talk about this one. He's brought this one up to the to the table. Um, actually, I don't know too much about it. Um, I just know this is from Plan B Farm Brewery up in Poughkeepsie, New York. I got it as an extra in a trade. It's called Spring. It's a New York farmhouse ale Asian white wine barrels on cherry blossoms from their farm. So, haven't really had anything from Plan B, um, but I've heard great things. I know nothing about Plan B. I mean, anything you can tell us about them or what they're doing out there? I know, I know they use a lot of their own um, 
ingredients that they make on their farm. So whether like so when they do their fruit, yeah. So when they do, especially like their fruited stuff, I know they'll do it straight from the farm. And um, I'm not sure if they grow their own hops, but uh, they might. Yeah. This hits out of New York. Yeah. Interesting. And I like it. I mean, it's this is truly a farmhouse when I smell it. That microflora, the yeast is different. It's obviously unique. I mean, who's to say how much it actually changes beer to beer? But I definitely get a little different kind of funk than I would say I would be picking up from any other brewery that would be arguing they're doing the same style. Yeah. Right? I will say I've, I've been reading... A lot on you know new brewery openings and farm style breweries are becoming really popular, especially um, in New York, who has a small but growing agricultural uh, sort of setting going on. And this is exactly what that is. I mean, on their on their website it says closed for the season, but it sounds like everything that they do from their yeast, hops, and grainy that comes from New York or it comes from their uh, farm. I mean. They talk about the them cultivating uh, yeast from their honey, so I think that's definitely something, especially on the East Coast too. It's been just like growing rapidly, seeing a lot of these like farm, family-owned style breweries popping up that really focus on. That's true. I mean, I'd say comparison Atwood. I think Atwood is a good Atwood right. Ales yeah. of Washington. I mean, Connecticut's got breweries that have been popping up left and right in terms of farmhouse sour beers too, and I mean you can even look. As far as, like, New Hampshire, there's a shit ton of fucking breweries that I've recently looked into. So a lot of people are kind of, like, easily, safe to say, pulling off a lot of phenomenal farmhouse-style beers. Yeah. Believe it or not, this being a true farmhouse has a little bit more of a sour, quote-unquote, taste to it, or an acidic, or tartness than anything else we've tasted, including that Monk's. um, Is this something you sat on? It doesn't. It seems to me not very effervescent at all. Like I don't get any carbonation. No, this is this is fairly new. Um, okay. I think it's probably about four or five months. Or maybe um, just as quick to finish, but yeah, yeah, nothing really on the bottle in terms of like dates. You can look at the. Is there anything on the cork? No. no. We all know that's what Boy Scout hates. Yeah. No dates. No dates. No date code your shit. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that honestly, the beer, the beer itself is fucking great. Whether yeah, they're it's car- floral. Whether they're That's what got me off. It's like different. they do wax it. This slight bottle. floral perfume by. I mean, yeah. um, they use some sort of flower in it, correct? Yeah, I mean, cherry blossoms. Cherry blossoms. Yeah, talk yeah. about it. And yeah. Cherry blossoms flourish in the East Coast. It's always a yeah. It's a big thing when those cherry blossoms come out. So I think it's it's quite unique that they are using something. Not necessarily native to the East Coast, but something that people go out and flock to and really are very much anticipating throughout the year is is the actual blossoming of these cherry blossoms. Cherry blossoms. And uh, it's fun to see that integrated in beer. Yeah. And it's fun to see that actually executed quite nicely in a very multi-layered beer. Yeah. And this is something... That I think that the American breweries do have something to add and, and kind of like make themselves stand apart from a lot of the expert mm-hmm. um, traditionalists that are coming from Belgium, France, and those regions where they're producing phenomenal sour beers. Yeah. Um, a lot of which are even come from like the Netherlands. This beer, though it lacks the level of carbonation I think is desirable for us, at least as mm-hmm. Americans and our palates, mm-hmm. I think is pretty fucking good pretty complex yeah 
Very unique. But for a wine barrel age beer, are you guys getting much wine barrel on this? A little bit. Yeah. I'm getting a little bit, but not as much as I think I would yeah. would have I mean, guessed going into this. But that too, wine barrels are not. mostly neutral barrels. You got to remember that. It's like unless there's great must or something really out there, really pushing that wine characteristic, or whether they use a real harsh or where yeah. You know, sometimes these earlier wine barrels I've come to find out are actually quite unique, and they're producing when you're fermenting beer in them because uh, a lot of the remaining yeast that's actually newly been embedded in the oak kind of plays a more prominent role in the beer's finishing than, say, something that's been more neutralized. Because the, the second that wine's ready to go, I mean, unless you're doing a real intense red wine, it doesn't really state what kind of wine they're using. White, white wine barrel. White, yeah, white yeah. Wine. so white wine, unless you're using a really intense Chardonnay or Champagne barrel of some yeah, sort, you're, you're looking at pretty a pretty neutral barrel. Yes. Yeah you're going to just pick up a shit ton of acid all from, like, a Chardonnay. Oh, God. You know what I mean? So, like, white wine barrels are fucking great for barrel aging, but they just got, you got to pick them and choose them. You can't yeah. really. And different well, stages a, in the fermentation of one they actually push out is a big deal. Yeah. So, something to note for brewers out there. Wanted to mess with white wine barrels, which I encourage, because I think it's great. Not enough people do it. People I've worked with haven't done it enough. However, uh, those red wine barrels do promote a lot more interesting characteristics through mm-hmm. the barrel aging process. Mm-hmm. But yeah, great beer. This is Spring uh, Farmhouse, and this is their Plan B, uh, or this is the Spring Farmhouse beer from Plan B Brewery right out of New York. And uh, yeah, definitely something I want to hit up in the East Coast if we make it out there this year, which could be a possibility. Um, next one up, we've got something out of Washington again, so throwing it back. Um, this is a brewery who has actually gone through a number of changes in terms of production, types of beers that are brewing, people managing it, brewers running it, uh, cellarmen, the whole nine. Uh, we're looking at Urban Family straight out of Seattle, and we've got a Golden Sour Ale from them, the Ruby. So pouring that guy out. Um a little background on Urban Family, just, you know, Boy Scout, what are you thinking? I mean, they've got, you've had a longer relationship drinking their beer. Yeah. I've had a close it, relationship. Yeah, so if brewers. you want, you can check out on Brew Coven. They uh, they went to Seattle and got to sit down with one of the uh, newer owners, correct? And, yeah, the main owner now. Yeah. And, um, but so... You know, Urban Family, when they when I first came to start drinking their beer, probably like three years ago, maybe four years ago, um, it was not a, not all over the board, but they didn't seem to quite know a niche or something they wanted to get into. Um, they had a couple beers canned, and then they started coming out in bottles. Then they had a um, sort of... relabeling a design transformation and then yeah this past coming year they had a big change in sort of their brewing staff and team and now it seems they're a lot more integrated in online and social media and putting out you know different barrel aged beer and and fooders and messing around with sours and i think they're really starting to hone in on something they are passionate about and want to get good at and it's it's definitely paying off i mean they um Telegram collaborations have been turned up quite a bit. Yeah. Since I've actually witnessed and 
Um, they're doing stuff with the guard, which is fucking crazy um, to me. Their beer, this beer is pretty good. I mean, I haven't sat on it very long. We're looking at probably about four month time span. Um, but it's extremely tart. Probably could use some more time. It's this brewed with pomegranate and candy sugar. Yeah, pomegranate and candy sugar. Definitely most acidic. Golden that. sour. Right? I mean, it's got oh, a you real can smell that. pinkish hue to it. Filtration. Orange hue almost to it. Yeah. To the light. Honestly, yes. A little bit more of an orange than a pink. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking at it, I mean, there's floating well, this in there. Ha- this has some carbonation on it. Thank God. <laughs> I like yeah, that. Scott's a big fan of foam. I am a big fan of foam. I like that head. I too, but with the foam comes a little bit of pomegranate. Just floating up onto the top there. I can see it. And that's not, you know, the end of the world. I will say it's so. It's not the end of the if, world for me, but I can think of a big demographic where this would just shun that they would just shun this beer as unfinished. Because you didn't filter out the chunks of fruit. I mean, there's this is with medium pulp. I like pulp. Yeah, leave <laughs> the pulp in. Well, I think so. And it was interesting because I got talking a little bit on this conversation with a uh, a guy who owns a meadery, but he was talking about when you leave sort of the the skin or you leave the fruit in there or even the nut and he's specifically talking about how cherry is in in terms where the cherry the actual fruit leaves a different flavor as opposed to taking the cherry pit and throwing the pits and he said the pit tends to have that cherry but more of that nuttiness as opposed to when you do just the fruit you get more of that medicinal cherry and so that's something i think about now especially when you see chunks and you see something where people throw a, you know, a fruit adjunct in where it doesn't look like they filter out the particulates and you wonder maybe is that due to taste? Probably not so much, but I think it is definitely something that goes into that thought process of it, what if we filter out? Will it take some of that away? Because you do, you get sort of this like tart and like nice little pomegranate on the end of it. Yeah. It's very slight. Well, it's definitely on top of the, my head here. I see chunks. However, uh, <laughs> definitely do. Your shampoo not a condition. Pomegranate is a lot. Yeah. Pomegranate doesn't really, it's a very watery fruit, if you will. So, well, yeah, it's it's because it doesn't have like a yeah. strong, like, it's not very taste to it. It's, it's not, not prominent. Very, uh, well, it's prominent, but it's not, uh, what's the word? It'd be the same as uh, the it cranberry and it goes up. It's not like a complete, like, takeover, right? Yeah. However, I mean, this beer's. I like it. I enjoy it. Yeah. I'm just commenting on what people have as far as their perception of... No, I agree. And, and, and you know, most Flemish or, or even Belgian or whatever fucking beers out in Europe are going to be unfiltered. That's the reality of it. Yeah. That's because there's a conditioning process that goes into the bottle. And that's what makes that beer unique every single day that it sits. Right? Um, this particular beer might be one of those beers. I mean, it's not... It's not necessarily corked or caged. Um, it's not in a wax dip. It's just a normal crown cap in a Belgian-esque bottle. But it achieves all those very interesting characteristics. Yep. It's just that, you know, something like this, even with a Belgian beer, you'd look for a lot of those particulates to settle out, and then you can pour them out. So if you're going to do a beer like this, I feel like maybe you should sit on it longer, personally. Mm-hmm. 
as a production brewery and then put it out when it's ready. Yeah. Um, to let some of that sell out. Because this is so for presentation. enamel-eating. It's tart. No, yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. This You wouldn't probably want I mean, more like than like a five or eight-ounce like, eight yeah, pour of this. pH level on this is fairly low. Yeah. I mean, pH level being, it's pretty acidic. Yeah. But no, this is nice. And I say props to them for all their changes. It seems to be doing well, so keep yeah. it up. Keep it up, Bourbon family. Really enjoy it. I mean, it's a quite nice beer. You guys are redefining beer styles in a way, which is great, but it's dangerous territory to tread on. A lot yeah. of people are very much about those beer styles and keeping them true to form. So we've got one more for y'all. The Nectar Berry, or the Blue Nectar in this particular case. Uh, it's a fucking great beer. And uh, it's, it's actually... I don't know. It's it's got nectar berry in it. I'll let East Coast talk about it, but it's one of our very own from our from our town here out in Tacoma. Yep, this is from E9. Um, it's called Blue Nectar. It's a wild ale with blueberries and nectar berries. Um, I remember having this about six months ago when it first came out, um, and I loved it. It was this has probably been my favorite from E9. Um, I haven't had too many sours from them probably about a dozen but this has definitely been my favorite so far yeah I know uh Boy Scout over uh, nectar berry like true nectar berry was that over nectar berry like yeah true nectar berry. oh yeah yeah this one I don't, I don't know what the blueberry and nectar berry does together but they're making sweet sweet yeah. love in there oh absolutely I actually think like whatever the the nectar berry of a fruit is the blueberry it helps bring out the actual blueberry taste yeah. i mean it's it's you really get sort of i mean it's reminds me of just you know eating blueberries by the handful but you just get woo. it's always sexy so that was a live pop for you guys there was a cherry or a nectar berry rather popped in this incident the srm on this is beautiful fucking too and these goes mike just shit his pants after that yeah <laughs> that's what happens when loads are given and received I mean, if you're able to find some of this, you live in Washington, just getting it for the look is, you know, I'd say it's on, especially on level with some of the stuff DeGard puts out, you know, oh, just yeah. how oh, it's beyond that be- level to some degree. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's, it's similar to just like a, a, a red, violet, purple and, um, it's dark and it's nice cause the head is a little bit lighter, but yeah, Boy Scout brought this to a share once, and he decided to bring one bottle, and all their bottles are 12-ounce standard, and there's about 13 people at the share, so I was very fortunate to get the last, like, drops, so I'm glad now I get to have <laughs> some sort of a glass, because I, I didn't have this on draft, I got the bottles the day they bottled it, and it was definitely a gusher as soon as you opened its bottle condition. But I remember it just needed to sort of sit out. And I think that's one thing with sour beers. If brewers are going to put them out, it might be best to bottle it, sit on it, and sort of taste a bottle or two to put it out when it's fresh to drink. Right. And it's not traditional to do that. It's more traditional to let it sit in the barrels. However, um, sometimes you pretty much – I mean – there's nothing wrong with letting a whole batch of beer. I mean, if you've already invested that much time and energy in the barrels, why not invest a little bit more in the bottles? And the, yeah, exactly. And then you know you're putting something on nice. And you know, there's always that thing. There's breweries that need to obviously make overhead and, and obviously make capital. And I understand that, but just being able to put something on that's going to give you a full representation of what that beer was intended to taste like with your blending mind. Yeah. All in 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 that actual like. 
cohesive favor, then you should probably consider the idea. And I have. Um, I feel like a lot of us have. And I think it's almost uh, part of the craft beer community to educate. And I think that's a good thing, too, is if you need to put out, put, you know, on your social media or whatever, you know, let people know that, hey, you know what would be great about this beer? Let it sit for three months. And, you know, that's something you can talk about. And that way you at least give people a notion to try this out. It encourages people to buy more than one bottle because the people are going to be impatient. They can drink a bottle then and they can see what it tastes like, you know, three, six months or however yeah. you think it should if you have to put it out. And then you look at these bottles and we're looking at what? <laughs> Fucking three, what are they? 375? Yeah. Are they 375? I think they're yeah. 375s. They're, they're 375s and they're literally one. 123 of 150 and that's ridiculous yeah that's a pretty low run yeah for you know 375s imagine if they did 22s we'd be looking at a lot less beer so yeah it's kind of like a challenging position to be sitting at this is a hand labeled hand dated bottle and stamped so I like to think personally that this Blue Nectar is in its late first trimester of aging. What do you guys think? I think that it's like right at the prime drinking age. I think it could still sit. If you got Blue Nectar out there, Tacoma, sit on. It's definitely a little enamel eating. Uh, a little for bit, sure. but it's, it's fucking tartness. delicious. I mean, I but what's nice is, shit. you know, um, East Coast has been sitting on this for six months, and you start to see sort of that blueberry so that nectar berry, which tastes like fresh raspberries to me, and you really start to see the layers of the fruit come out, and that's where it's like, oh, you sit on this longer, and that's going to come forward more, and that tartness is going to take more of a back seat, and that's that's the great thing when you get to sell our beer and see it you know, become complex over time. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm liking this a lot better than the first time I've had it when it was fresh. Yeah. Uh, it's not. When I had it fresh, it was even more sour, more enamel eating. It yeah. Was, it was like you get overpowered all the berry flavors. You get more there. of that sour base. I yeah. Mean, you don't get to see any of the the fruit that was in it at all. Yeah, but this, this is, is nice. Awesome. I think this is a nice sweet spot of you know fruit still there, a little bit of tartness to it. Well, medium tartness, I should say, not a little bit. Um, so I think I think it was a pretty good time to open this. But if you still have you've had one or two bottles, I'd say hold on to it and see what it does in another six months. So what do you Absolutely. think? First trimester, second trimester. I mean, I, I, I feel like we're we're clearing the first try for sure. Yeah, I think we're like halfway through yeah. the first try, so try, kind of a try and a half. I feel like it's good to address these cellar beers we have in trimester kind of perceptions, especially for a lot of us who have drank them at the release of the bottles and then crack them thereafter. It's always hard to gauge when a beer is ready. Yeah, I feel. Mm-hmm. A lot of the sours. Yeah, a lot of us also baby a lot of sours are challenging. Stouts, eh, not so much. However, the heat on certain barrel aged stouts and the heat on a lot of like very unique stouts out there are more challenging. Probably going to put out a new segment on just aging. I think in general. Yeah, I think, I think it'd be good to talk about. Has explored a whole realm of that, not only with sour and stouts, but we really hit the IPA. More importantly. Uh, New England IPAs and New England style IPAs and just kind of their approach and what hops end up falling out and what hops end up coming and being 
because there's a lot of flavoring hops, and that's something I feel like we don't touch on quite enough. Well, we're so coming think, we're coming into an age where like aroma and flavoring hops that you can boost the max. I mean, bittering bittering is on a far back seat in terms of especially you know you look at raw materials just like hop acreage it's all going to these aroma and flavoring hops and that's just a big thing you see and you're just going to see it more and more and more so stay tuned we've got new segments coming from you guys out of 2018 hope you guys enjoyed Sour Night Volume 2 little tamed on this one down the back just trying to get some information out to you guys Definitely trying to get loose with you guys on a couple of these other segments. We've got some wild stuff coming at you guys. The Black Cat will be back with his shenanigans. We've got Highlander ready to slice some dice and his shenanigans. And, of course, as always, Dark Pony. East Coast Mike. Boy Scout. Just coming at you guys talking about some real fucking beer. Uh, thanks for listening to Brew Coven, guys. Happy fun.